again to Psalm 20, the 20th Psalm, and give you a warm welcome. This will be a test tonight in the antiperspirant, wearing a light blue shirt. Well, it's a risk we take, but I've got a fan, and I trust the Lord will bring in a, a nice breeze upon you there, but the Lord will refresh our souls, even as we... Uh, consider his words. So Psalm 20, uh, once again we'll read the psalm together and then we'll have a word of prayer. So let's, let's hear the word of the Lord. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice. Selah. Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel. We will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the King hear us when we call. Amen. And as I said, we'll look to the Lord and ask Him to bless even the public reading and bless even as we come to preach His words. Let's unite uh, together in prayer. Eternal God, loving Father, we thank Thee for Your Word. We thank Thee, Lord, for the reading of Scripture. We pray it be a blessing to our hearts. Lord, we come now to consider what's upon the pages of Holy Scripture, and I look to Thee for help. Lord, I confess my great need of Thee. Lord, there's no time when I would stand here when I do not need Your help or Your blessing. But we thank the Lord that You do hear us. We pray, O God, that You will grant unto us the blessing. Lord, even as we gather around Your Word and Your truth, may it furnish us then for the season of prayer. We pray, O God, that You will help us in that time. It is the public prayer meeting. And we pray, O God, that the spirit of prayer and supplication will be poured out upon us. Give us help in these matters. We lift our eyes heavenward and look away to our God. Bless us, Lord, and do us good, even now as we gather around the Word for the few moments. For this we ask in the Saviour's precious and His worthy name. Amen. Now, last time in a prayer meeting, we began to look at this psalm together. And I pointed out that both Psalm 20 and Psalm 21, well, they are connected. They are both battle songs. In Psalm 20, we have a psalm of prayer before the battle. And in Psalm 21, we have a psalm of praise after the battle. And that gives us the very important principle that praying for the victory, it always precedes praising over the victory. And here is a psalm that is believed to be composed by David as a model psalm to be sung before the king of the nation goes to battle. David was a man who understood the importance of prayer and he coveted the prayerful support of his people. It's a psalm that was to be sung in public worship setting where the king would be in the midst of the congregation and both the king and the congregation would take it in turns to sing their different parts. Now, I did mention that it's not easy to determine the structure and the arrangement of the psalm with varying opinions of those who are singing and when they are singing and different things like that. But I broke it down 
into three sections. And we looked at the first section last time. We considered verses 1 to 4 under the heading, the congregation's prayer. And though they were really addressing the king, they were singing towards the king in that part. It really was an expression of their prayer towards God for their king, the one who represented them and the one who was going to fight for them in the day of trouble. Now we all will have our day of trouble and none of us are exempt from that. And in these verses we have instruction on how we should pray for a brother, for a sister when their day of trouble comes. Now I noted a number of simple Simple petitions that we can offer to God on their behalf. From first one, I pointed out a good prayer that we can pray for them when the day of trouble comes, is that the Lord would hear their prayers. That's a good prayer to pray for your brother and sister when the day of trouble comes. Lord, hear their prayer. And in hearing their prayer, we obviously have the associated answer to that prayer. Another prayer that we can offer for them, we see from verse 1, is that the Lord will defend them, that the Lord will protect them in the day of trouble. And of course, the day of trouble, the day of affliction, is a day when the old adversary, the devil, will come in and he will seek to raise his assaults and attacks against the mind, against the heart of the believer. The fiery darts are rained in upon them. He seeks to take advantage at such times. But we looked at those words and we thought of them in this respect, that the Lord would put His people out of reach, out of the reach of the devil in the day of trouble. Verse 2, we can also pray for them that God would send them help from the sanctuary. Now this is not just, we might say, providential help, common grace that we might experience in everyday life, but that really God would send them special grace from the throne above. And that's what we all need in the day of trouble. Special grace from the throne of God. And also we can pray that God would strengthen them out of Zion. Especially taking the means of grace and as they gather among God's people, that God would use those means to strengthen them as they face their day of adversity. Then we thought, in verse number 3, and we thought that we could ask God to remember them. Remember them because they are trusting in the blood atonement. And really that's what we can ask God to do, remember. And when we think about that word remember, I was thinking today about Noah. And that phrase, and God remembered Noah. And it's not so much that he forgot Noah, but rather he began to move and act on behalf of Noah. Because Noah was trusting in him. And therefore we can pray for those in trouble that God would remember them, that God would begin to act on their behalf because they are trusting in the atonement. And then finally in verse 4, uh, well, it was really a covering petition for all those things not specifically prayed for in the verses preceding, that the Lord would grant unto them their desires and fulfill all their counsel. Now the mention of all these verbs in these verses, hear, defend, strengthen, remember, grant, it reminds us that we have a God who does these things for His people. He is the living God. He is the God who intervenes. Not some God in a distance, 
but he is one who hears. He is one who defends. He is one who strengthens. He is one who provides special grace and help. He's one who remembers and acts on behalf of his people. And he is the one who grants our requests and fulfills all our desires. So tonight, we're going to move on uh, to the remainder of the psalm. And there's going to be two main headings this evening. So we've already thought about the congregation's prayer, but we're going to consider the remaining part of the psalm, this prayer for the battle. Now, the firstly tonight in verses 5 to 8, we have the confidence proclaimed. So we have the congregation's prayer, and then we have the confidence proclaimed. It was Spurgeon who said this, earnest prayer frequently leads to assured confidence. And the confidence is expressed in these following verses. So let's look at verse 5 to start with. It says there, We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now we must determine who is speaking here and to whom they are speaking. Well, I believe considering the context of the psalm, uh, that uh, is a psalm to be sung before the battle, that is the congregation that's speaking again here. That's indicated by that pronoun, we. And I also believe that they are addressing the king, the earthly king that is in their midst when the verse says, thy salvation, we will rejoice in thy salvation, thy referring to the king. You see, the day of trouble had come, and the people had expressed before the king what they desired God to do for him, which was to deliver him from his enemies by defeating them. And they confidently expected God to answer their prayer. They confidently expected, and they did rejoice in the salvation of their king. That's why they said, We will rejoice. In thy, they're addressing their king, thy salvation. See, the king's deliverance or salvation, well, it would be the deliverance of the nation whom he represented. This is a phrase that implies that they believed. They confidently believed that their king would be saved, that their king would be delivered. Now, there are two ways in which we can consider these words, or this phrase, we will rejoice in thy salvation with respect to timing. Either it means we will now rejoice, or else it means we will then rejoice. They either rejoice then in that moment in the anticipatory triumph, or else they look beyond the battle to the time that God would give deliverance, And then they would rejoice. Now either way, faith, not blind faith, not faith with no object in view, but faith in God who can send help from the sanctuary, who can defend His people, faith is exhibited by this expression, we will rejoice. Now I tend to favor it this way, we will now rejoice. There they are, they're in the temple courts, they're kings in the midst. The battle is looming in the distance, but they've offered this prayer to God. They have confidence in God that He will do these things, that He will hear prayer, that He will send help, that He will defend, that He will succor, that He will strengthen, 
that he will do all these things. And as they've been praying, well, confidence rises within their soul. And there they lead on to praise and to rejoicing. We will rejoice in thy salvation. It's going to happen. God's going to answer prayer. It's strong confidence in God that enables, it enables his children to rejoice even when the day of trouble is looming on the horizon. And praise is really an expression of confidence in God. And when one is able to do that in the day of trouble, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. When one is able to praise God in the day of trouble, it is, as I said, an expression of their trust in him. Jehoshaphat, before entering into the battle with the vast armies of the Midianites and the Amorites, he appointed singers to praise the Lord. And that was an expression of his confidence, of his reliance in God. If you turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20, and the day of trouble was coming upon King Jehoshaphat, and he got to prayer and he was seeking a word from God, and God gave him a word, God gave him an answer. At the end there, in the middle of verse 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in the middle of verse 15, he says, Be not dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And there's a word that that man could rest on, and his faith was exhibited by offering, as it were, this note of praise as he's going into his day of trouble, the day of battle. Look at verses 21 And 22, it says there, And when he had consulted with the people, he had pointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness. As he went out before the army and say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 22, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So the note of praise is really essential and it is an expression of the confidence that the child of God has in him. When Louis XIII of France had surrounded with his army a city of the Huguenots, the besieged assembled ones, well, one evening they got themselves together upon the walls of that city And they sang with great sweetness and solemnity one of their favorite psalms. The king was so impressed with the whole scene and with the spirit of the singers, they were not defeated. Their trust or confidence was in God. Then Louis XIII, he turned to his favorite general, who was by his side, and he quietly observed, we can do nothing with this people. The siege was lifted. And the persecuted Huguenots, they triumphed in their God. And brethren and sisters, let's not forget to put a note of praise in our prayers. Because victory, it is assured with confidence, knowing the revelation of God. And that His and all our enemies will be someday put under His feet. And that we shall know the consummation of the final and the full deliverance of our souls and our bodies 
and our lives from all our enemies. Let's add the note of praise into our prayer tonight. As I said, the day of trouble has come upon the church. But we have a God that sends help from the sanctuary. And we have a God that strengthens us for the day of battle. We have a God that hears our prayers. And therefore, let's add a note of praise. And it may be as we confidently proclaim and express our reliance on God that He will set ambushments for our enemies. I thought about that today and we think about all this RSE being pushed into schools. And what's God doing with the schools? Well, they're crumbling. They're literally crumbling. And the money's being sucked, it will be sucked out of the education system to go into that. You see, the Lord can set ambushments. He can, as it were, bring affliction and trouble and trial to our enemies that they might be confounded. Now, moving on in verse 5, back to Psalm chapter 20. We read this here, in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Now, all ancient people, when they went to war, they had their standards, they had their, their banners, whether flags or some ensigns, around which they rallied, which they followed, under which they fought, they fought and they, they felt compelled to defend that banner, that standard, that ensign, because of what it represented. Now, it's difficult to determine precisely the form of the standards used by the ancient Hebrews. But in Numbers chapter 2, we find there that each of the tribes had their own standard. But of course, when we think about setting up our standard in our day and generation, and our banners, we think of the Jehovah Nassai, the Lord, our banner. And the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ, the one who was lifted up upon the cross, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What happened in the fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah 11 verse 10? What happened when that came to pass? It tells us there, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So the battle for us is concerned with Christ's cause and his gospel. Now this banner we set up, it's set up in God's name. It's his honor and it's his glory that we seek to promote. It's not the free Presbyterian church, though that is a denomination to which God and in which God has placed us, but we are setting up our banner in the name of the Lord. It's His name. It's His cause that we rally round even tonight in prayer. And that's what we're here to do with the great encouragement of those words in Isaiah 59, verse 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. One man made the comment, when the army has confidence in its general, it unfurls its standard with resolute defiance, enters upon the contest with a stout brave heart, and already anticipates the shouts of victory in a triumphant procession with banners displayed. 
As the old hymn puts it, there's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king as an ensign fair we lifted up today while as ransomed ones we sing marching on. Verse 5, it closes with these words, The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Which reminds us where the confidence for victory is placed. It's in the Lord. And here we notice that this triumph, this help from the sanctuary, this strengthening, this deliverance, this salvation from our enemies, it will be sought for. Petitions will be offered up for it. As I said to the brethren on Thursday night, that's what we're here to do in a public place of prayer. We're here to supplicate the throne of grace. How can God fulfill our petitions if we do not petition? That's quite simple. It says here, The Lord fill all thy petitions. It's a congregation singing to the king again. The Lord fulfill all your prayers. Well, how could the Lord fulfill His prayers and answer His prayers if He never prayed? And so it is for us. How can the Lord fulfill our petitions if we do not petition the throne of heavenly grace? And that's what we have come to do this evening as we're led into the throne room of our God. Now the proclamation, it's further expressed in verse Number six. Look at it together with me. It says, Now I know that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Now there's a move in this verse as to who is speaking. It's the king. It's the one who is anointed to that office. David was actually anointed three times. He was anointed by Samuel. He was anointed by the tribe of Judah. And he was anointed by all of Israel. And he could speak with confidence here. For the Lord had delivered him out of the paw of the lion and the bear. And also out of the hand of Goliath. So David was able to speak with confidence when he said, Now I know, I know this from experience. The Lord, the Lord saveth his anointed He will, in this day of battle, He will hear Him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. David knew. David knew from experience that God heard, God answered his prayer, that the smile of God would be upon him and would give him great success in this matter. And this God would do with the saving strength of His right hand. And that's really a statement regarding the omnipotence of our God. It's a metaphor for God's unlimited power. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6, we read these words, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And surely these were the truths that David was was confidently resting on. The right hand, the omnipotence of God. He'd written previously back in chapter 17, 
Verse 7 of the Psalms. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand. Them which put their trust in thee. From those that rise up against them. We have the arm of omnipotence to call upon. In the day of our trouble. And from the accounts in scripture and from church history. We do know that God at times in accordance to his will, he mightily intervenes. But once again, we have to say that our minds are drawn to Christ here. In this verse 6, Christ who is the Lord's anointed, the one who is the great antitype of all the prophets, priests, and kings that were anointed in the Old Testament, he was heard, as we're told in Hebrews 5 verse 7, in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And in the day of his trouble, God brought him from the field of battle and from the grave by his mighty hand. He interposed and raised Christ from the dead. Therefore we can say all who are in Christ, you see, the king who would be delivered here. Well, it meant all whom he represented, his nation would be delivered. And so Christ being delivered from the power of death and the grave, it means, brethren and sisters, you and I too will be overcomers. We will be overcomers and we can confidently speak in the language of King David who said, now I know. We can say, I know. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The proclamation of confidence, well, it continues in verses 7 and 8, which both provide contrasts. Verse 7, often quoted in prayer, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The most dreaded war engine in the day of David was the chariot, armed with scythes that would mow down men like the grass. Chariots and horses were they made an imposing show of strength. All their rattling and their stirring up of their dust, and that was the boast of the neighboring nations. Think of Pharaoh and his chariots, and the Midianites and their chariots. That's what they put their trust in, horses and chariots. But those things were the products of human effort. You see, they selectively bred horses for their strength and for their speed. They had trained them in battle. And they continually developed their, their chariots that they used in war. That was all human effort, and that's what they rested in. But the saints... They considered the name of their Lord, their God. And that was a greater trust. William Gurnall said this, One Almighty is more than all mighties. One Almighty is more than all mighties. And no matter who comes against us, and think of all the 
the enemies of the gospel that are arranged against us today and all the human effort and all the machinations of war that are employed against the church of Jesus Christ, the great machinery of most of the media that push a false narrative. Or we have the weaponizing of the many political policies and processes and all those legislative things to wage a war against God and all that God stands for. And all that great array, that's a great show, and there's a great rattling and a great stir. And we look and we think, how can we ever do that? Well, our trust is not in all that human product. Our trust is in the name of the Lord our God. What are we to do in such days? What were Israel to do in such a day when the multitudes of the chariots and the horses were coming against them? We'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21. God gives them advice and God gives us advice. What are we to do when we see all that against us? And it is, it's a, it's a mighty army. And we feel so poor and so weak. Well, what are we to do? Well, we have instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And look at the verse 1. It tells us there, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye shall come nigh unto battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, he it is that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. We have a high priest who is praying for us, one who has drawn near, one who has gone into the presence of the Lord. And He speaks for us and He speaks to us. And we have one who fights our battles for us. Where are Pharaoh's horses and chariots? Where are they? They're at the bottom of the Red Sea. And the Lord our God is able to do the same with our enemies today so that they are remembered no more. We are to remember the name of the Lord, our God. He's our God. We're in covenant union with Him, brethren and sisters. He is the Lord. The self-existent, independent, immutable, ever-present, all-filling, great I am. We're to remember the name of the Lord, our God. Now that does not mean we are to neglect instrumentality. Just because we remember the name of the Lord our God doesn't mean we neglect instrumentality as we wage a war. You might think like what? Well, meetings, gospel tracts, letters, emails, or petitions of protest. But our hope is in the Lord our God who alone can give success. You remember David. David, he went to Goliath. And as he was approaching Goliath, he approached him in the name of the Lord of hosts, as we're told in 1 Samuel 17 and 32. But did he neglect instrumentality? No, he didn't. 
because he took the stones out of the brook and he had the sling in his hand, but he wasn't trusting in those things. He was trusting in his God. And so we see the contrast where people place their trust, some in their human efforts, but those who are the Lord's, they place their trust in the name of the Lord our God. We have another contrast in verse 8. As they go on to make their confident proclamation. Speaking of the enemies of God, they are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. And how different is the end of those whose trusts are different? Well, for an enemy to be brought low, they first have to be high. And as is the case many of the times in the Bible, it seemed like the enemies of Israel, they had the upper hand numerically and positionally upon the battlefield. And it again appeared today that the enemies of Christ, well, they are riding high in the crest of a wave. They're getting their way and they're seeing their own wicked way advance. But they shall be brought low. They shall be brought down and shall fall. And in the context, the language is indicative here of the certain conviction that the enemy would be vanquished. So certain it is, it's spoken as if it's already done. They are brought down and fallen. That's in the past tense. They are brought down and fallen. The Hebrew word translated brought down means to bend, to bow the knee. And impenitent, defiant sinners, as we know, someday their knee will bow before our King. On the other hand, the contrast is those who are trusting in the Lord, they are risen. Stand upright. Again, it's put in this way, in this tense, So assured are the people of God of victory. To be risen first implies that we are, we are low. We are low. And that's how the church's condition would appear in these days. But the Lord is able. He is able to raise us up. He is able to make us stand upright. Someday, child of God, we will wear the victor's garland. And Satan and his demons and all the enemies of Christ and the gospel will be put under the Savior's feet. Here is the confidence proclaimed by the king and the congregation before they enter into battle. Verse 9, finally, we notice the concluding plea. Verse 9, the concluding plea. It says there, Save, Lord. Let the king hear us when we call. Confidence as they are of success and triumph. Yet they do not forget their dependence upon God. They do not forget that victory, it comes from his hand. And therefore, the psalm, it closes with a prayer. Albert Barnes said this, prayer is not inconsistent with the most confident anticipation of success in any undertaking. And confidence of success can only spring from prayer. 
The opening words of this verse, just to see of Lord. They're just a general prayer. That's all they are. Sometimes that's all we can pray. Sometimes that's all we need to pray. Save, Lord, or help, Lord. Short, heartfelt prayers. And that's all we need in meetings like this. That's maybe all that you can offer from your heart and from your soul. Save us, Lord. Help us, Lord, in the day of trouble. Well, the Lord hears those prayers just as much as He hears specific petitions and supplications that are offered unto him, closes with these words, let the king hear us when we call. Who's the king mentioned here in verse 9? See, throughout the first eight verses, it has been an interaction between the people and their human king. But here they're calling upon the king of kings. They're calling upon God. They're ending this psalm with a climax. They do not place their trust in an earthly king or an earthly leader or governor. As good as David was, they're looking higher to the sovereign upon the throne. And they pray, let the king hear us when we call. They're looking to the Lord for deliverance. In Psalm 5, if you want to turn there as we close in the verse 2, Well, David, he pens these words. He says, Psalm 5 and verse 2, Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. And the Lord will hear our prayers, because the greater King has won the battle for us. And He's reigning in glory, and soon enough, brethren and sisters, we shall share in the fullness of the spoils of His victory for us. Let us pray this evening. We are in a mighty conflict, and we have our day of trouble. It is upon us, but we have a God who hears and answers prayer. And may we be able then, in future days, go into And be able to know the experience of Psalm 21. The praising of God over the the battle. And the thanking Him for the victory. Close the words of 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 8. Read this. With our enemies is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And may He enable us to win the battle in prayer tonight. Because there will be a battle. There will be the old enemy here fighting us in prayer tonight, fighting you in prayer, telling you, keep your mouth closed. You've never prayed before. You can't pray as long. You can't pray as eloquently. Brethren and sisters, we're in a day of battle. You're in a day of battle. Our children, your grandchildren, they're in a day of trouble. And they need you to pray. How can the Lord fulfill our petitions if we do not petition? And I encourage you tonight. We be brethren. We're not judges standing in critique. That's for homiletics class in 
in the Bible college where you get critiqued even on your praying. Someone might pick up something that you prayed. But we're not here to do that tonight. This is not that type of class. This is a prayer meeting. And we have a great God who hears us in our day of trouble. Let's bow for prayer before we have a hymn. And then the online congregation will, will leave us. Let's look to the Lord even now. Let's come before Him and pray. Our God and our Father, we thank Thee for Thy grace and Thy mercy to us. We thank the Lord for this psalm and the instruction that it gives, teaching us how to pray. And yet, Lord, giving us great confidence, for there are some who trust in horses and chariots. But we this night are here to remember the name of the Lord our God. Help us in prayer. Lord, bless thy children who have faced or are facing a day of trouble. We pray for them, that they will know thy grace, and thy help, and thy strengthening. Lord, do us good as we offer this our praise and hear and answer prayer. For we ask this all in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.